Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. We get your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel according to Luke. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 6. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 6. What was the sermon called where Jesus spoke the Beatitudes? Sermon on the Mount, right? Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes, how many of them are there? This is trivia day. You guys remember this in one day in Bible trivia, you'll be able to snap it off. Ready? How many Beatitudes? Eight. Eight Beatitudes, the Gospel according to Matthew chapter five. How many of you guys knew that the Gospel according to Luke had Beatitudes too? Doesn't have eight of them, it's only got four. You know what that sermon was called? The Sermon on the Plain. Jesus spoke in two different places about Beatitudes. This wasn't one man's account are two men's different accounts of one experience. This is two different experiences. Okay, one on the Sermon on the Mount, one on the Sermon on the Plain. These four Beatitudes were written by the by uh, Luke as a historical perspective. Okay, so I want us to see the historical perspective that he wrote this in here. How many of you guys remember the Gospel according to Luke and uh, the Book of Acts? Who was those letters addressed to? Most excellent, Theophilus, right? And I said before, Theophilus sounds like a Roman name or a Jewish name? It's a Roman name. Now, doesn't mean that that person didn't have some type of a religious uh, position, okay? It's believed that this guy Theophilus was actually somebody who was up pretty high in the church in Jerusalem. And he was the one that was going to be able to accurately uh, relay this information from the individuals who were Jews to the individuals who were Gentiles through this particular person. So in these Beatitudes, these Beatitudes specifically have the, the, uh, a lot of the exact same uh, feel as the others. Um, they have a lot of the exact same intentions when it comes to what they're trying to, pro- what they're trying to produce in a Christian's life. But all of this came into, into, into I should say, came into being because of Jesus appearing to be a rule breaker. I mean, if you think about it, this there, uh, there was an established religion at the time, right? It had come from Judaism, which was from God, amen? But what they had done with Judaism was not from God. They had turned... They had turned God's structure for his people into something other than what God intended it to be. So when God himself shows up on earth and his church has has presented a mold or a model that is not accurate, then Jesus steps up and says, hey, I think that I have the know and I think that I have the authority to tell you that the way you're doing it's wrong. So imagine from Jesus' perspective. I'll just pick one of, the, one of the situations. Jesus is walking through a field with his disciples, his apostles. His apostles are plucking heads of wheat off of the top of the plant, and they're eating it straight from the field. What day was it? 
It was a Sabbath day. What did all the Jews say when they seen Jesus' disciples, who were apostles, popping the heads off of the wheat and eating it? They're working. They're working. So I want you to get this from Jesus' perspective. From a human perspective, we get how this creates problems, right? But this isn't just another person that walks up. This person is the second person of the Trinity, God himself. And they go, your apostles just broke God's rules. Now I want you to think about what that would look like from Jesus' perspective. And, and just before we get into these Beatitudes that are in the Gospel according to Luke, you'll notice there's a section in there that talks about the fact that nobody can criticize Jesus about the Sabbath because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, what greater authority is there to speak on the, on the Sabbath than the one who provided it? Now, through him being Lord of the Sabbath, that led him to choosing his disciples. If he's the, if he's the Lord of... What's the, what's the, what does the Sabbath mean? The day of rest. He is the Lord of the day of rest. Now, you read the book of Hebrews. Your day of rest is not even on this planet. You get that? I mean, I've had I've met all kinds of legalistic people. I have aunts who are Pentecostal, and, and they're just confused as I'll get out. One day on this planet is no different than another. God created, he created it so that it would operate on seven-day increments, right? He rested on the seventh day when his work was what? Finished. So when do we get our Sabbath? When our work's finished. The reason that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath is because Jesus is literally the Lord of the day of rest. What he did in our individual lives, what he has shown forth, even though the rest of the planet sees him as a human being, what he continues to do in the face of people who doubt him, who criticize him, who seek to kill him, is to still do what's best for them because he is who he is and that's what he's here for let's be honest if we considered ourselves to God if our health was dependent on our faithfulness how sick would we be in other words what I'm saying is how many of you guys in here made a mistake I don't care what, how big of a mistake or small a mistake how many of you made a mistake how many of you know that Jesus is going to get you for that? Unless you trust in him. But here's the deal. It's not trading. It's not saying, hey, thank you for taking my sin off of me. Thank you so much for taking that burden off of me. And then go do it more and more and more. Because within this statement Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath to say anything besides your own rest falls in the hands of Jesus Christ alone to say anything else 
put you in a position of legalistic choice making from that point forward. Your happiness will be dependent upon your faithfulness. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're not being faithful, conviction should happen. But even Christians who are in the midst of making a mistake, who can say, I'm sorry for that mistake, they also need to understand that there was forgiven for that mistake. There were forgiveness for that mistake 2,000 years ago. And for a person to take that for granted, that's not what Christians do. Because we've, I've chased through Southern Baptist life and some other denominations this understanding that people have that if we run up and tell people, hey, you're safe, that that's going to give them permission to go live like the world. In your own life as a believer of Jesus Christ. Is that true? That ain't true. Because if the Holy Spirit's inside of us, it's talking to us the whole time. Sometimes we hear him, sometimes we don't. But Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of rest. He's the Lord of the day of rest. He, is the, he has the market cornered in it. How many of you guys have been a little terrified lately? In and out of those circumstances where you're not sure what life's going to bring? There is nothing in the world like it dawning on you that you don't take care of yourself. You tried just like everybody else, feebly. The truth is, Jesus wants us as individuals to have a relationship with him to, so that we have the ability within that relationship to continue to allow him to provide sanctification in our lives. There were things I struggled with when I was younger, I don't struggle with no more. At all. Was I like that the year after I got saved? No. Was I like that five years after I got saved? No. Was I like that ten years after I got saved? It was happening. It was happening. Individuals who are driven to please the creator of the universe are individuals, that's just what we desire to do. Why do you do what you do? I want to make God happy. Well, God's already happy. I know, but it makes me feel good to know that I'm doing what God wants me to do, and that makes him happy. People even question this. I'm not sure God can get happy. Well, it says you can grieve him. If you can grieve him, doesn't it make sense you go the other way too? You and Jesus laugh all the time. Sorry, it's at some people's expense. But at least it's between us, Right? We're silly. We're silly people. We do things that make no sense to people. We lock ourselves into things that, are, that cost us way more than we want to pay, take us way further than we want to go. This is really just a process of the Lord saying, look, I want to lead you. I want to lead you from where you're at out of this darkness, out of this valley. I want you to learn that your life even is not even in your hands. It's not in your doctor's hands. Your life is not in the green individuals wanting to take all of our oil and power away. It's not in their hands. I laughed the other day. The New World Order came out and made an, made it, made it an announcement. Did you guys hear this? The World Economic Forum. We've decided with the atmosphere of the economics in the world today, we are going to speed up implementing our electronic digital currency. I laughed out loud. And Jesus was sitting in the truck next to me laughing just as hard. They think they have control of the timeline. 
they think they have control. And somebody the other day was, I mean, I've three times this week. The devil just won't leave me alone. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. And he's not omnipotent. Which means he can't be everywhere at the same time. He doesn't know how everything's going to turn out. And he doesn't know everything at the same time. Because he's not God. He doesn't have God's attributes. He has, the, he has the attributes of a created individual. So if the devil's bugging me, literally, he's leaving somebody else alone. Literally. Leaving somebody else alone. Because he can't be here and there at the same time. Our relationship with Jesus and the conclusions that we draw based on his word, they solidify us in the faith. When we're faithful and obedient to him, he proves himself to us. People say all the time, show me the proof. I could give you, I could give you 500 stories of proof of God's existence. Because there were things that happened in my own life that no other human being on the planet can explain. And I can only explain it one way. Because a lot of times when God does something, he does it in such a way as nobody else can. And that's all he's trying to do through the instruction. He wants us to learn so that we know how when we make mistakes, when we fall, when we fail, we know how to get up, make sure we're facing in the right direction. He wants us to learn how to have faith in him, a faith that says, Lord, I don't know why you brought me here, but use me however you will to bring the loss to you and to help those that know you know you more. Do you know how scary it is to say, here I am, Lord, send me, before you find out the destination? And that's why people typically don't do it. But those are also the people that God uses the most. Because of the ones that say, Lord, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know what this is going to do to me. I don't know where everything that I need is going to come from. But I trust you. I trust you. And I hope and pray that the day doesn't hit me where God deals with me the same way he dealt with Peter. Lord, I trust you. Do you? Do you trust me? You know, last week we talked about becoming as a child dependency last week I talked about dependency for food dependency for water dependency for nourishment dependency you know what else they're dependent for safety protection that little munchkin Grayson he will get into anything I don't care what he's got to climb to get it If you just leave him to just leave him to do what he does, guess what he's going to do to himself? That's us. If God just leaves us to ourselves, what do you think we're going to do to ourselves? 
Every time you separate yourself from God, now you say, I don't separate myself from God. Yeah, you do. All of us have gone through those glitches where, we, where we're out of church or we get busy and for some reason our relationships aren't continuing. I want to ask you a very simple question. When that happens, does life get easier or harder? There was no pause whatsoever. The ones who answered that question answered it like that. So Satan turns our lives upside down because he has a feeling our response is going to be to not come back here. If my goal is to drill you into the ground, just like Satan's is, and I hit you, and you fall over like a twig, am I going on to the next person? Why would I go on to this next person? I've got someone who's completely susceptible, apparently, to my temptations. Right? You ever known Satan to be the type of person who sees somebody hurt and then let up? That's not who he is. But I'll tell you what, the first time he comes to you and he hits you because he don't see that Jesus shield holding you up and it jars his teeth in his head, he's going to start looking for a new target. Because it's no fun to play with people who love Jesus because those people, even if he gets them to make the mistake, they're immediately sorry for it and make adjustments in their life that prevent them from happening again. Why do you think the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee you? People are scared of mountain lions now that they're coming into our area. You guys know that. We've got quite a few of them, quite a few cougars, whatever you want to call them. Did you know the cougar will circle you? I go over to Kevin and Donna's house. They got two dogs. Names Kinsey and Kinsey and Deeks. They're poodles. One's black. One's kind of blonde. The blonde one's bit me before his little ankle biter. He won't bite me to my face though. That little dude, I, I walk up that ramp and that little dude will come around behind me and he will do everything he can to try to get close enough behind me to nip me on the ankle. Just aggravating. Little ankle biters. If Deke sees me coming, he's not coming head on. Guess what Christians have the ability to see better than anybody else on the planet? We can see evil before it happens. As individuals who trust in Jesus, every word that he speaks, we have to hang on. If we don't hang on those words, there's going to be a crack that will form through the experiences in our life where we will push our own justification into those positions and we completely miss what God's trying to accomplish in the world with us, through us. Before I stand up here and make this whole sermon on opening. If you would take a look at chapter 6, the gospel according to Luke, starting with verse 20. And turning his gaze on his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
Blessed are you who put... Now, I want you guys, we're going to try to talk just a little bit about each of these, and then we want to see why he said them the way he said them, and then what follows along afterwards. So, um, 21, blessed are you who hunger, uh, hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and ostracize you, and cast insults at you, and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Before we go any further, because there's one more verse there before we jump into another paragraph, or at least that's what it looks like to me. When Jesus turned his gaze upon them, and the first thing that he said to them was, Blessed are, uh, blessed are you who are, who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. This world is set up to provide the greatest comforts to the most evil. I ain't saying money's evil, and I ain't saying everybody who owns it evil. But I am saying there's a whole lot of evil involved in money. Money itself ain't evil, the love of money is evil. And you get people that's got a whole bunch of it, they want to try to make people do what it is that they want to make people do. Was individuals who are poor, they tend to not have all of the material attachments to things. Now he's talking poor in the sense of wealth now he says this i believe for a couple of reasons and one of the reasons one of the reasons is if you're poor you understood the sacrifice in other words how many of you are in here right now could make a decision tomorrow and very easily raise your income most everybody in here could. People are hiring, right? But the question is, if you were to go do that, what's the cost? I mean, I go to somebody like Rosie. I mean, especially when the kids are littler and us. When the kids were littler, Diana was a stay-at-home mom simply because of that fact. If an individual has no material possessions then they find their wealth and their passion in other things. And if that thing is, is on a lesser value than money to a person, then that person has lived a hard life. It's cost them. The sacrifice cut deep. And this plays towards the point that he's going to make. Go ahead and look at the second one. Verse 21. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. We get through all four of these. We'll go back and look at the second parts of these verses that we're not pointing out too much right now. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. How many of you guys have ever been hungry? Now, I'm not talking about when you go in and tell your mom you're hungry and the cupboard's full of stuff, the refrigerator's full of stuff, the freezer's full of stuff, and it's just not what you want. All right? I mean hungry. Not having money to buy something at a, at a restaurant through a drive-thru. Either not being at home or not having anything at home. Not sure what you're going to feed your kids the next meal. Have you ever been there? Not many people these days have been there. But I guarantee you there are a few who have. Because if you live for very long, you're going to go through hard times. It's just the truth. But again... 
I'm going to ask this question. How many of you moms have starved yourself because your kid asked for what it was that you were going to eat? I would say every mom has done that. And if you haven't, you're young and you will. There's passion in the hearts of individuals who say, other people are more important than I am. For a person who's experiencing the exact same hunger pains that you're experiencing, to then be willing to say, you eat mine. There is a passion that burns deeper in that person than just the fact that their belly's growling. Verse 22. I'm sorry, second part of verse 21. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. It's no no, uh, secret. If you're a believer in this world, there's a whole lot of sad stuff that happens. Life becomes difficult because of the differences or the, the conflict between the two natures. And I'm not just talking about the two natures that are in us. I'm also talking about the two natures that are in the realm that we live in. And by, yeah, I said realms. Call me a weirdo. This realm and the spiritual realm, those two are actually merged together with each other, but they can't see each other. That's how demons can get themselves involved with our lives. That's how angels can involve themselves in our lives. Because those two realms, so to speak, as believers, it's pretty miserable living on this planet if you're doing it right. Let me say that again. As believers, it's pretty miserable living on this planet if you're doing it right. Now, that's not your emotional state because the supernatural takes over the emotional state. That's where that joy that comes, that peace that passes all understanding, all of these things that come along with that life that we have in Christ. But the truth is, from beginning to end, someone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ in this life is gonna, is gonna struggle. They're gonna struggle. Every time that you've cried, what has it been over? Little things? Or were they things like the passing of a loved one? And what made that come about? What made our loved ones pass? Sin. Not sin of the individual, but sin overall, right? Why do you cry? Because somebody treated you badly? Sinful? Because maybe your heart is attached to something that it shouldn't be? What's the source of our weeping? If the source of our weeping is compassion for other people, if the source of our weeping is the pain and suffering inflicted on us and the people around us that's inflicted by sin. When do you get to stop weeping? You take your last breath, that day of rest. Verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults at you 
and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Before we go any further. I don't even know all the reasons that people will hate you for being a Christian. I know I've been confused a lot in my lifetime because people have hated me for what I thought was no reason. But apparently there's something about a Christian that just does that to people. Why is a person ostracized? Why are they hated? Because the planet's selfish. Every person on this planet wants what they want. There's no difference between a Southern Baptist pastor and somebody else who's a one-year-old Christian. I still want what I want. The difference is, someone who's a new Christian, they still have trouble chasing what they want. An older Christian can understand the difference between doing what it is that we want to do and doing what it is that God's asked us to do. Because in the faith, you know how much stuff that I do that I want to do? And you know how much stuff that I don't do that I do want to do? It's the same thing Paul said. Why is it that 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 I would do, I do not do, and that that I should do, I do not do? That I would do, I would not do, and that that I would not do, that I'm doing. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body? Praise be to Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that delivers us from that body. We get ostracized because of our viewpoints. I get ostracized on a regular basis, even by people who are believers, by me walking up into them, to them and saying, look, God really doesn't want you doing this. He really doesn't want you doing this. And people get mad at me. Why? It's the same way the other way around. You've been down that road a few times. Hey, I can help you. Nah. Pay attention to where you're at right now in life. And I got a question for you. Do you think that's where Jesus wants you to stay? How many of you can say, Lord, I hope not? Because that's where all of us need to be. Because Lord, I hope not means tomorrow actually has the potential of being a brighter day than today. Why? Because my God's in the picture. My God's in the picture. I want to go back and let's focus a little bit on the last part of each one of these Beatitudes. First one, verse 20. For yours is the kingdom of God. Let me ask you something. For somebody who's poor, what's the most valuable thing that you could be given? The kingdom of God. You push away the possessions on this planet. You push away the things that bring people happiness. But don't worry. Your sacrifice, it's going to pay out. It's going to pay out. Because I guarantee you, when we get to the kingdom, there'll be nothing like we've ever seen before, nothing like we've ever experienced before, 
and nothing that we would ever want to leave. Verse 21, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. If you notice, there's a little bit of a theme running on here. You will be satisfied. The point that he's starting to make with this, and I'll tell you this now so that you can see it through the next two. Your circumstances are not as you perceive them. I don't care what kind of chaos your life is in. If you allow it, he's still in control of it. And just like I prayed a while ago, if the Lord's going to do most of his work that he accomplishes today, does he do most of his work inside the church or in the lives of lost people? The lives of lost people. There are people out there who are looking for the last part of each one of these verses. Because they're also individuals who are hungry and are poor. How do I know somebody's poor if they're driven to material things? How do I know if they're poor? Someone who truly draws the conclusion that they're poor? Do they chase material things? They can't. They're poor. They can try. Hunger, how many people in this world do you think are hungry today? How many people are hurting? Is it just a believer that's hurting? Is it just life hard for the believer? Is that what's going on? The lost person's hungry too. But if you don't know that you who are hungry now will be filled, and that person is hungry now not knowing how to be filled, an individual who's a Christian not remembering that they're filled cannot remind someone else who's not a believer that they are not filled. Did I make that more confusing? In other words, if we don't understand what Jesus brings to us at the end of this, then why is it even worth it? You say you want salvation. You want eternal salvation? This is the cost. It's the cost. The cost is, suck it up for now. Yeah, fall on your face now and then. Have people around you who's going to be able to help pick you up and dust you off, but move in the right direction. My dad used to get so frustrated at me. I don't care if it's wrong. Just do something. Don't allow yourself to sit idle. Don't allow the difficult things that we face in this world that's at the head of these verses block out what we see at the end of these verses. The next one. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. I 
was around somebody the other day that was telling a pretty sad story. It was just, and there was part of the story that the person who was telling it wouldn't have thought that it was funny. It was funny. I have no sense of humor when people's hearts are broke. There was another individual there that heard what the person said and just busted up laughing. It was about the death of his brother. Everything on this planet that breaks our heart, Jesus has a solution for. Do you hear me? It may even be a solution he's already put in place. It may be his will that we are where we are. Because where are you going to find the lost person? In the dark or in the light? In the dangerous places or the safe places? They're in the dangerous places. And I'm convinced 100% that's why, that's why God allows us to be involved on such a level that he will send us into those dark places where people hurt. He'll send us into those places where evil exists. Why? Because it's not the well that needs a physician. We try to play it safe, but these are universally true. If you're a believer, you are poor. You're rich in other ways. You'll see just how rich down the road. Everybody on this planet's been hungry. As far as I know in my own experience, everybody on this planet cries. And there's plenty of reasons for that to happen. Verse 22 Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults at you and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Look at 23, here it goes. Be glad in that day. Your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Read quickly, I'm going to try to close this so I don't keep you too long. Woe to you who are rich. For you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the false prophets. Let me ask you something. According to what Jesus Christ just said, in the world that we live in today, is it better to be poor or rich? Is it better to be hungry or well fed? Is it better to be happy or weeping? Folks, if that's not pure, absolute evidence that God works in the midst of that pain, I don't know what other evidence I can give you. We hurt. He's doing things. It's hard. He's doing things. And don't look at the hardship that you're in. Look at what he's promised you at the end of this road. Because the truth is, if this church is going to be a church, it's got to keep its cheese on its cracker. Do you hear me? 
Do you know how much the people in that community out there finding out about Jesus depends on our ability as individuals to keep our cheese on our cracker? We can't even get off the ground if we can't solidify ourselves in this relationship with Jesus. We can't get off the ground if we don't solidify ourselves in this relationship with Jesus. Teachers are late sometimes. Should they be late all the time? No. The cost is huge. People don't think about it. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, people in my class, it's a huge deal. Because when somebody's coming to your Sunday school class, how committed are you if they, if they walk in five minutes early and their teacher's not there? You ever notice how easy it is to be late for church, but how hard it is to be late for work? People will put way more effort into getting to work on time than they will to get to church on time. If you called out from work, for as many reasons that you call out of church, what would your boss do? And I don't say that to beat people up, folks. I'm saying that if we all look at our individual lives, if we turn our attention inward to ourselves, examine ourselves, these things are not hard to see. If our emotions are on our sleeves and if we're individuals who are caught up in it, it makes it difficult to see. But this is why Jesus wants us to know so that when we face these circumstances or walk into these circumstances, hey, here it comes, brace yourself. He didn't promise me I wouldn't be hit by the big wave. He didn't promise me I wouldn't be run over by a truck. He didn't promise me that people wouldn't hate me. Matter of fact, he promised me completely the opposite. People are going to hate you because of my name. But be encouraged. They hated me first. Hate by association with Jesus is the best way to be hated. Life is going to turn out. And, and, and I say, I've said this in sermons several times, but please hear what I'm saying. It's going to be okay. It doesn't matter how any of this turns out. It's going to be okay. I used to get upset at my wife when we were younger because she would just have the female, all of us in here probably know this, all of us husbands. Women tend to be pretty quick when they're afraid of something. If they're afraid you're not going to have enough money for the bills, if they're afraid. The way we want to react to that is to basically just make them understand why that's an unnecessary fear. My wife said something to me one day, and it changed my life. I was in my early 20s. She said, I just, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to hug me and tell me it's going to be okay. How big is that? As believers in Jesus Christ, listen to me. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, he knows exactly what he's doing in your life right now. It doesn't matter where you're at. He knows exactly what he's doing. He has a kingdom purpose behind it. He has people in store being blessed by where we're at in our lives if we recognize it. 
And there is nothing that anybody is facing on this planet that a Christian cannot look at another Christian and say with absolute assurance, it's going to be okay. No matter how it turns out, it's going to be okay. Why? Because our God is the God of all. He knows what's best. Sometimes he shows up in major ways. And sometimes we have no idea what he's doing or why he's doing it. But it all comes back to that one last question. Do you trust him? He's big enough to take every problem away from you. He can heal every woe. He can do it. There's some reason that every one of us in this place are where we're at. And you have to ask yourself this question. Do I trust you? If you're here today, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe never followed through in believer's baptism. Whatever the Holy Spirit may lead upon you. But please be sure it's the Holy Spirit. Don't come down here because you just want to check the box. You'll, you'll know who it is. If he, if, he, uh, if he pulls on your heartstring, you'll know exactly who it is. If you're here today and you, and you have trusted your, or given your, uh, your trust to Jesus Christ in your life, and maybe this was just a sermon to kind of help recenter all of us. Trusting in the fact that God has all good things in store for us. He can make all things of the good to the, of those who know him and are called according to his purpose. We as individuals have to be able to live in that teaching so that our happiness and every experience that we have in life has God in it, and it's obvious that he's in it. So believer, just center yourself today, whatever the Holy Spirit may tell you. Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners, separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, He came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask Him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week, and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.